Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. All right, Kids Creek, you guys can take off. <clears throat> to the rest of you, welcome. Glad you are here. Uh, if I have not had a chance to meet you, my name is Aaron, uh, teaching pastor here for Riverwood. Before we uh, get into our fourth part in our Advent series, uh, just a couple of announcements. Uh, when you walked in, hopefully you were given one of our handouts. Inside of that is all of our announcements for this morning. Uh, I, I want to draw your attention particularly to the uh, connection card that is in there. Uh, if you're a first-time guest, our church family fills that out every week. Uh, we just kind of fill up that, that, that top section, and then we use that, that you know, kind of big section for prayer requests. Our elders meet uh, every Wednesday to, to pray for our church family. And so if you have any prayer requests, feel free to include those. But at that bottom section, for every first-time guest that's willing to fill that out, we donate $5 to Compassion International. Compassion is an organization that has a goal of releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. And they work through local churches all around the globe. And so we would love to just honor your presence with us today and, and make just that small difference in the life of a child. So if you're willing, no one's going to arm twist you, but if you're willing to fill out that bottom section, we would appreciate it. You can just drop that in the uh, giving box on your way out. There's one here in the, the door, as well as one by the uh, exit on your way out. And uh, we will then uh, sometime in the, here in the next month or so get that sent off to Compassion and make that difference in the life of a kid. Uh, if you are giving today, thank you so much for fueling the mission that God has given us. We, we are on a mission to help the spiritually disconnected to find and follow Jesus. And so no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, we hope that something today will help you just go a little bit further. And if that is something that this moves your heart like it does for most of our Riverwood family, uh, we, we give to that financially, uh, believing that, that God is gonna use us to make a difference in the world. So you can give uh, in person at the box, you can give online on our website, or you can give via text versus uh, via the number that's on the screen or that is in your uh, handout. Well, it's, as you know, it's Christmas time. Uh, we've got a lot of things going on. Uh, last week, we uh, did our annual impact gift, uh, and I am super excited to get to announce the amount. However, we're going to announce it tonight because we found out that there's just a few people who are like, oh, I missed it last week. So we're keeping it open until noon today. So if you want to give, it's not too late. You can give in person. You just got to make sure that you mark it for the impact gift so it doesn't get rolled into general fund. Or you can go online and there's a drop down menu and you can choose impact gift. We will get that included in the amount and then we will make that announcement this evening. Also, we have a video from Josh and Hillary who we've been, we are going to be sending this money to. Uh, and they uh, have a video for you to share an update on how this money is going. Uh, going to be used. The, speaking of which, tonight is our candlelight service. If you are available, we'd love to have you come. It's just going to be a, a simple, short service, probably about 45, 50 minutes. Uh, we'll, we'll sing some songs, short little sermon from the, the scriptures, uh, and then we'll uh, remember the, 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 the light of the world came in through the lighting of candles, and then we will uh, take off. So please come back at 4.30 tonight. And uh, Riverwood family, it's not too late to invite someone to come with you. So if you know a neighbor who's going to just be home, they don't have a church home, they're, they're not doing anything, extend that invitation, set, Send them a text, uh, reach out, and, and invite them to come and join you tonight. Uh, and then uh, we are starting uh, on December 3rd. Well, technically starts January 1st, but we're going to be kicking off our 21 days of surrender. That's the theme this year for our 21 days of prayer and fasting. We're kicking that off uh, December 31st. Ed is going to preach and, and kick that off. So we want you to, knowing that a lot of people are traveling, we want you to have the option to be able to get the devotional book now. So stop by there, pick up one of the paper copies. Uh, if you want, we're going to be putting it in digital form, in PDF form on our website if you'd rather just do it digitally, or we will 
also email out the devotionals every day. If you want to receive the devotionals via email, you need to put your email on your connection card. Even though your email's in the system, we need to know that you want to have it. It's an opt-in type of opportunity. So paper copy out there, pick one up uh, today uh, or next Sunday. Digital copy on the website, look for the 21 Days of Prayer uh, uh, resource page, and then uh, you can receive it via email. Just make sure to put that email address on your connection card, and Manette will make sure that you get on the list, and those will begin on January 1st. Well, how many of you have ever heard the phrase, he wears his heart on his sleeve? Okay, I would suspect most hands would be going up uh, about now. If, if you're, for some reason that's, that phrase is new to you, it's, it's unfamiliar, typically means a person who just kind of wears their emotions, like they're just fully displayed in, in everything about them. Like, you do not have to wonder if they're embarrassed or not. Like, their red face is going to announce to you their embarrassment. Like, you, you don't have to wonder if they're happy, if they're sad, if they're angry. Uh, everything about them reveals their emotions. They wear their heart on their sleeve. But have you ever wondered where that comes from? I, I, I wondered, so I started looking it up. Turns out that it was first in print written by Shakespeare. He included it in his play, Othello. Uh, apparently it's said by one of the villains. But I got to wonder, where did Shakespeare find it? Like, did he invent this phrase? Or did he kind of steal the idea from somewhere else? Well, good old Merriam-Webster on their website reveals that this phrase probably comes from the medieval sport of jousting. Now, I suspect most of you know what jousting is, but just in case, it is two grown men donning full suits of armor, getting on a horse, and riding those horses towards one another. There's usually a rail or a wall between them, and as they come to each other, they are holding a big, long lance, this huge, long wooden spear with a big ball on the end, and they're trying to use that lance to knock their opponent off of their horse while trying to remain on their horse. I am pretty sure that two 12-year-old boys invented this game. Well, in that armor, one of the pieces is called the sleeve. And if a knight was dedicating his performance to a lady of the court, he might wear her kerchief, her scarf, a, a ribbon, and he'd put it on that piece of armor, thus bringing to light the phrase, he wears his heart on his sleeve. But I found that very interesting that this phrase has to do with armor. Because nowadays when we use it, we're almost indicating that the person who wears their heart on the sleeve is wearing no emotional armor. Like they're fully exposed. Everyone can see and even possibly manipulate them in the moment. So often when I hear people use this phrase, it seems to have almost like this negative connotation. Now, I, I get it. Sometimes it's not good to wear your heart on your sleeve. Like if you're playing poker, really, really bad time. But also if, if you're a boss having to confront an employee, y you probably shouldn't be wearing your heart on your sleeve. But even though it's so often used with a negative connotation, I think there are times where it's actually really, really good to wear your heart on your sleeve. Like, when your husband, your wife, your kids see how much you love them, th that's a good thing. When, when your friend sees you light up when, when they walk into the room or hears your genuine laughter at their, their joke, that's a good thing. When, when your friend shares some tragic news and you just 
sit with them and you listen or maybe even pray with them, that's a good thing. There are times where it is very, very appropriate. In fact, a really good thing to wear your heart on your sleeve. Well, when it comes to your relationship with God, I think it is also vital that you wear your heart on your sleeve, that that is a good thing. In fact, today, I think we're going to see that wearing your heart on your sleeve with God is a great thing. It's the honest thing. It is the worship-filled thing. But I'm also going to warn you, to wear your heart on your sleeve before God can be an uncomfortable thing. It, it could be a humbling thing. It could even be a devastating thing. And yet I believe that that uncomfortable devastation could lead you into some of the greatest joy you've ever known. Now, I will readily admit that this is not the kind of sermon you'd expect on the day before Christmas. We're here to celebrate the coming of Jesus. And yet, I think for us to really appreciate tonight, to really get the most out of tomorrow, to really truly worship God and thank him for sending Jesus, we need to sit today in just a little bit of awkwardness, a little bit of uncomfortableness, a little bit of humility. Because by doing so, it's going to help us to appreciate all the more what we're going to get to do this evening. So as we get ready to launch into this potentially awkward sermon, let us pray. So Heavenly Father, I uh, just dedicate this uh, sermon to you. Uh, Lord, I, I believe this is what you want us to talk about today. That, that you, for your purposes, have brought these people to hear this. You, you've brought certain people to connect with us online. You're even having someone listen to this later on the podcast. And you have this for them so that's why, Lord, I pray that this go beyond what I have prepared and this be about what you want to say to your people. Lord, you know their fears, you know their doubts, you know their worries, you know their, their anger, you know their celebrations, you know everything that's going on in their hearts. Everything is exposed to you. And so, God, I pray that today wouldn't be about them really truly opening up to you because you already know it'd be them being honest with themselves before you. So God, help all of us today to wear our heart on our sleeve before you, to make it seen, to make it known, so that you can do in us what you want to do, what you need to do for our good, for our joy, and for your glory. We give this time to you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you brought a Bible, I'm going to invite you to open it up to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis 37. If you were with us last week, those words would sound like a repeat because we were in Genesis 37. Uh, Genesis 37 kicks off the story of Joseph. And not Joseph, the husband of Mary, the earthly father of Jesus. No, Joseph, the son of Jacob. Uh, we saw in Joseph's story that even though Joseph's story goes through the, from chapter 37 to the end of Genesis, chapter 50, that really you can reduce his story down to four chapters. It, chapter 1 was what, we're, what we saw last week in chapter 37. He's at home, he's a 17-year-old, and he's annoying to his brothers. But what adds to that annoyance is that he's dad's favorite. 
And, and dad gives him this gift of clothing, this colorful robe that differentiates him from everyone else and just adds to the fuel of the jealousy of the brothers. So the je- brothers end up selling him off into slavery. That ended up being chapter two. From slavery, he went to um, prison. That was chapter three. And then from prison, he went to second in command of Egypt. Now, if you're not familiar with the story, that sounds crazy. To go from prison to second in command. Like, that just doesn't happen. So if you don't believe me, go listen to last week's sermon, or better yet, just read Genesis 37 through 50 and see it for yourself. But I, well, before I say that, last week what we did was we saw that there was clothing. As we're in the series called Christmas Clothes, we saw that there were clothing in all four, uh, in each of those four chapters. And they played a significant role in the story. But I need to confess to you today that I kind of misled you last week. Because there's actually another instance, actually a couple of instances of other clothing mentioned. And I intentionally left one of them off, didn't draw draw attention to it, because I knew we were going to talk about it today. So please forgive me for my uh, misleading you. Not as if you couldn't go read it for yourself. But today, I want to draw your attention. It happens right towards the end of chapter 37, and it happens right after the brothers sell off Joseph to slavery. So Genesis 37, join me down at verse 31. Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. So after receiving the money from the the slave traders and shipping their brother off, the, the brothers have to come up with a plan. So they take this robe that was the the sign of their envy and they rip it up, shred it, and then they kill a goat and and scatter some of the blood on it to make it look as though Joseph has been attacked by a wild animal and killed. And they just happened to come upon the clothing. Now I can't help but see a little bit of irony in this portion of the story. Two weeks ago, we saw some of the story of Jacob, the father of Joseph, We saw that Jacob was the the younger son of twin boys, Esau and Jacob. Well, Esau being born first, just minutes before Jacob, he had the the right as the the firstborn. And so therefore, having the birthright meant that when dad passed away, he would inherit the majority of the wealth. He would assume the mantle of leadership within the family. Jacob was jealous of Esau. First of all, Esau wasn't exactly the, the brightest guy in the world. And so he was concerned for the family. But we saw that he not only manipulated his brother into selling his birthright for nothing but a bowl of stew, but then later he had to trick dad into giving the blessing that was supposed to go to the firstborn. To pull it off, mom helps him out. He puts on some of Esau's clothes so that dad, who's basically blind, would smell the clothes and think it's his son. But also... They kill these two goats to prepare the stew, but they take some of the hide and they put it on his hands so that if dad felt the skin, instead of feeling smooth Jacob, he would feel hairy Esau. In other words, a goat died to lie to the dad. And now suddenly here, 
Jacob, who killed the goat to lie to his dad, has now had a goat killed, which lies to him, the dad. And so dad is devastated. He thinks his son is dead because he holds in his hands the ripped up robe that's covered in blood. Now, if if I'd asked you, hey, would you identify the clothing in today's story? I wouldn't blame you one bit for identifying that robe because it's kind of a gruesome sight. The, the, the Bible makes a big deal of that robe early in chapter 37. And, and so I, I wouldn't blame you one bit for visually thinking about that robe all ripped up, covered in blood, because it, it is a gruesome, memorable image. But that's not the clothing I really want to draw your attention to today. Because there's another couple of mentions, and they're both in verse 34. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. The first item of clothing we see is these garments that he tears. He rips his own robes. Now, he's not doing that to try to get them to match the the ripped up robe that's in his hands. He's not doing it because it's the latest fashion statement. By the way, I, I was trying to find an image of like some ripped up clothing and I, I discovered that apparently the new cool thing in some circles is clothes that's not just like jeans, you know, with some holes ripped up. I mean, we're talking like t-shirts completely shredded. You look at them going, how is that still on your body? Like, that's now the newest fashion. I promise you, I will not be wearing any of those. Um, so, so he's not ripping his clothes for a fashion statement. This action was simply a natural cultural reaction to intense sorrow. If we had started just two verses earlier here in chapter 37, if we'd started at verse 29, we would have seen Jacob's uh, son Reuben, Joseph's older brother, do the exact same thing. You see, when when the brothers saw Joseph out in the field, they they started putting together a plan to kill him. They want to get rid of this kid. He drives him nuts. Reuben speaks up. It's like, "Uh, guys, I I don't think we should. Let's just throw him in this pit, and we'll decide what to do later. Because Reuben had a plan to come back and sneak him out and bring him home. Instead, while Reuben is gone, the brothers see these slave traders like, there we go, let's make some money off this dude. Engage in human trafficking, and they send him off. Well, right after he's left, Reuben comes back, looks in the pit, Joseph's gone. Where's he at? They tell him what they did. And it says in verse 29 that he ripped his robes. This was a natural reaction. Now, I, I, I don't think that way. I, I suspect the majority of you don't think that way. Like when, I, when I'm really angry, when I'm really sad, there's nothing in me that's just saying I want to just rip this sh- sweater to pieces. Like we, we want to punch a wall. You know, we we want to throw something. You know, so, some people, they get so frustrated and angry, there's so much pain that they, they, they like, like inflict self-harm. But while we want to damage walls or skin, we, we don't go and, and rip up clothing. And yet, if you've ever been in deep sorrow if you've ever had intense anguish, even though this isn't your reaction, you know exactly what he's feeling. And out of that frustration, he just rips them to shreds. But he doesn't stop there. Notice the next set of clothing. It says that he put on sackcloth on his loins. Now, some of you have seen sackcloth and may not realize it, or you've seen something similar. If you've ever seen burlap, 
It's much like sackcloth. One of the major differences, though, is burlap is this kind of coarse material, but it's made from plant fibers, whereas sackcloth is often made from animal fibers. Biblical sackcloth would have been made from goat or camel hair. Goat and camel hair are very, very coarse, very scratchy. So you can only imagine what it would be like to have your clothes ripped, now you can't wear them, and instead you now put on this sackcloth, this scratchy, annoying, itchy clothing against your skin. Like, I, I'd be thinking I'd be doing the opposite. Like, I'm in so much emotional turmoil, why would I inflict more pain on myself physically? I, I think they did it for two reasons. One, by wearing it, it matched physically what they were feeling internally. But also by putting it on, they'd be wearing their heart on their sleeve. Everyone would see that sackcloth and immediately know they're in mourning. They're in sorrow. They're in anguish. And they didn't just wear this for a day. This wasn't like funeral attire. They didn't even wear it for like a a week of mourning. No, biblically, they would wear it for a month. 30 days of scratchy, itchy, uncomfortable clothing against your skin as you work through your emotional pain. But what I want you to see is that sackcloth is not just something worn when you mourn the loss of a loved one. You can wear it anytime you are mourning and having intense sorrow. So I want to show you another example. So if, if you know where the book of Jonah is, flip over to Jonah chapter 3. If you're not quite sure where it's at, but you want to flip there, use the table of contents, or just know it's about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. Uh, If you find one of the books listed up there, you should be able to navigate your way to Jonah. To help you kind of understand what we're going to read in Jonah 3, let me set the stage. Jonah is an Old Testament prophet that uh, God instructs, commands to go to this city called Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is a uh, a city in Assyria. They're, They're not Jewish. And so Jonah's kind of like, why are you sending me to a a non-Jewish city? And second of all, they're so evil and bad, God. You need to just like smite them, destroy them. And so he doesn't want to go because first, he doesn't want God to show them any sort of mercy. And second, I think he kind of worries that maybe they'd kill him. So rather than go to Nineveh, Jonah rebels. He goes on a detour. He jumps on a ship and heads the opposite direction. Well, that leads to the very famous story of Jonah and the whale. The Bible calls it a great fish. He ends up in the water. This fish swallows him, brings him up to the shore. A couple days later, vomits him out. And so he makes the trek into Nineveh to go and preach. Now, if we, after our worship gathering today, realize, oh no, we we forgot something for Christmas Eve dinner tonight. We need to just swing by Walmart. And we get there to the parking lot. And some dude's standing on top of his car with a bullhorn saying, Waverly will be destroyed unless you repent. I think we'd all kind of just ignore him and make our way in. Or we might be on the phone to the police. Like, "Uh, hey, there's someone here who's really troubled. I don't think everything's, you know, connecting right. You might want to come and help out. Or we're calling our mental health professional Hey, um, I I think, you know, someone here needs you. But we probably wouldn't listen to them. And so you would think that the Ninevites would have the same reaction. This Jewish prophet walks into their city telling them that the Jewish God is going to destroy them. Why are we going to listen to you? Because they have their own gods. They worship Dagon. Dagon's the fish god. Oh, and they also worship his wife, Nanshi. So so why in the world are they going to listen to the God Jehovah, Yahweh? 
But as soon as they learned that this Jewish prophet came to them via a fish and that his God directed the fish, meaning his God's more powerful than our fish God, maybe we need to listen to this guy. And here is their reaction. Jonah 3, start in verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Well, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Did you notice back in verse 5? It says that they all put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. This wasn't just something that poor people did. This wasn't just something that celebrities do to get attention. No, this is from the greatest of them, including the king of Nineveh, to the lowest of them. Did you notice he even wants the cattle to wear sackcloth? I'd love to see uh, a picture of that. How, how did that work? But everyone is to put on sackcloth. Why? Because they're in mourning. Not mourning the loss of a loved one. They're mourning their sin. They, they have grief over their evil. He even said, so that we may remove the violence from our hands. They knew the kind of lives they were living was not good, not right. Yeah, they worshiped their fish God, but they knew in their hearts, what we're doing isn't right. But yet it was just their culture. It's just what they did. And now suddenly, a God greater than the fish God walks into town and says, I'm going to destroy you unless you change. And they repent. And they put on sackcloth. Why? Because they were wearing their repentance on their sleeve. They were making it seen. We repent. We are sorry. Our sin is great. And this is all we know to do. But why in the world are we talking about sackcloth and repentance and sorrow on Christmas Eve? Because it's exactly why Jesus came. You see, so often we get caught up in the trappings of Christmas. And there's nothing wrong with them. The food, the family, the fun, the rest. It's all good stuff. But too often, I think we head into these things 
not truly pausing to understand, but why do we do this? Why did Jesus come? I don't want you to mishear me today. I do believe John 10.10, where Jesus said, "I I come to give life and give it abundantly. I truly believe that that Jesus wants to give you the greatest life, the greatest joy you could ever experience. I do not believe that Jesus is spiritually here today saying, here's some itchy, scratchy goat cloak that I want you to put on your heart and I want you to be miserable the rest of your life. I I think he has something better than that. However, tonight, as we get to see the greatest spiritual clothing God could give us, I think for us to appreciate those clothing the most, it means we've got to wear something scratchy for the morning. Just for a season, just for a time, we put on spiritual sackcloth and we just sit in sorrow and we mourn. Because that's why Jesus came. You, you, you see, Christmas only has value because of Easter. Just as the, the Mona Lisa only has value because Da Vinci painted it, Christmas only has value because of the death and resurrection of Christ. Like, without the events of Easter, Christmas isn't Christmas. It's just the birth of another baby. Yes, a baby who grew to be a great man, a great leader, a great teacher, a great example. But without his death and resurrection, Christmas is empty. Which means that at the very core of Christmas is death. Jesus came to be crucified. A baby was born to die. That at the very heart of this beautiful, precious holiday is a morbid core. And he didn't come just to die senselessly like any other human. He didn't come to to try and be a good example for us. He came for a reason. That baby was born to live the only sinless life that's ever been lived so that he could go and die in the sinner's place. If Jesus had sinned, his death on the cross would have paid for his own sin. But because he was completely sinless, he could pay for your sin. That's why he came. And that is why it's appropriate for times for us to sit in sackcloth and realize he came for me. If we didn't have sin, Jesus doesn't need to come. And if he doesn't come, there is no Christmas. But the fact that he did come says, I can't save myself. I need help. I need a savior. I need the Christ child. And so our sackcloth enables us to truly worship him. Again, tonight, we're going to get to see the most glorious uh, spiritual clothing that God can give. It is absolutely beautiful. It is absolutely stunning. But I think for us to truly appreciate that clothing, we need to put on this morning's clothing to sit in sackcloth for just a little bit so that we can appreciate what is to come to what we truly have 
I think the person who most appreciates spring is the person who went through the hardest winter. We need to just spend a moment in winter. We need to just confess our sin. We need to sit in repentance. We need to show sorrow over our sin like Jacob did over the loss of his son. We need to be like the Ninevites, that when we've heard this word and we see what God has done, we sit in repentance. That, that we would realize that the whole reason Jesus came was because we sin. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to um, uh, conclude with a, a corporate uh, prayer of confession. In the middle of that corporate prayer, I'm, I'm going to create space for you to have a private prayer confession. And so if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, but, but something's been quickening your heart, something's been speaking to you, you realize that this crazy dude on the stage is actually teaching something true, then that's your space to give your life to Jesus. Jesus wasn't forced to go to the cross. He willingly came. He willingly was born as a baby into human flesh. He willingly went to that cross for you. And so he now invites you to willingly give your life to him. And so during that, that time of private confession of sin, that's your space to pray. Say, God, I, I confess my sin to you. I give it to you because you, Jesus, gave your life for me. And if, if you make that decision, on, on your connection card, there, there's just somehow right in there that, that you gave your life to Christ today. We would love to celebrate your spiritual birthday here at the time we celebrate the birth of Jesus. But even if you've been following Jesus for 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 more years, there's still probably some things that you realize, yeah, I, I need to hand this over. I need to repent. I, I need to just take a, a moment, a few minutes to sit in sackcloth. And so when we come to that moment of private confession, take advantage and don't be general. Be specific. Identify it. Be like the king of Nineveh who recognized we have violence in our hands. He names it. So name your sin. Name your mistakes. Name your shortcomings. And just put it before him. The good news in all of this is that 1 John 1.8 says that, that when we confess our sin, he's able and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and so even though we're going to come and we're going to sit in sackcloth for just a moment, Realize that when you leave, you don't have to continue in sackcloth. That, that, that you are washed, you are forgiven. But I think for us to appreciate the clothing we're going to see tonight, we need to just take this time. But let me just share one last thing that might help you do this. In Isaiah 53, the, the prophet says a Messiah is going to come. And he begins to describe this Messiah. And in verse 3, he describes this Messiah as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. In other words, Jesus put on sackcloth. He, he didn't have to wear the sackcloth for his own sin. There was no sin for him to repent of. And yet, he saw the pain that we were in in this world. He saw the struggle he saw our sin. And so he left his throne in heaven to take on human flesh, to enter into our suffering. He put on 
sackcloth. Why? Because he loves you. And so if he could put on that sackcloth for us, I hope that will encourage you to put on the sackcloth and to come to him. And so, uh, Alex, would you just drop the lights? The, everyone else, I'm going to draw your attention to the screens. Let's read this aloud. You'll see then we come to a part where there's this private confession of, of, of sin. By the way, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're not buying into anything I'm talking about, do, do not feel any pressure at all to read this prayer. But if there's anything within you that is longing for God to see him work in your heart, you realize his love for you, then I encourage you to genuinely pray these written words. Let's pray this together. God of joy, we want to celebrate the arrival of love incarnate. His glorious arrival is enough to cause forests to sing and angels to proclaim, yet we still find reasons to complain and sigh. Your light of salvation is bright enough to illuminate every corner of our lives, yet we still find ourselves shrouded in worry, fear, and doubt. Your gift of love is more than enough for the whole world, yet we at times have withheld love from those we deemed unworthy. And so we confess our sin to you. We put sackcloth on our hearts in repentance for our wrongs. We sit in ashes out of remorse for our sin. We rend our hearts because we have not reflected your heart. Father, I thank you that you have heard our prayers, that as we have confessed our sin, our shortcomings, our mistakes to you, you are able to forgive us of those sins. Help us to, to not hold on to those sins, to not be identified by them, but to let them go and realize we are cleansed, we are washed, that as we put on the sackcloth, you exchange it for robes of righteousness. So hear us now, Lord, as we conclude our prayer. Yet as we confess, we also thank you and worship you. For you, O oh God, invite us into the light of the stable to worship the one in the manger. As we sit in your presence, approaching your throne of grace, swaddle us with forgiveness, array us in righteousness, clothe us with the character of Christ. In his name we pray, amen.